Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and last week we put up a great episode of Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. Uh, You can find that the first Friday of every month, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, It's... I get a lot of positive feedback. Even people who aren't huge fans of G.I. Joe enjoy Audible Interlude. Uh, and we also recently did a special episode where we covered PulseCon and all of the G.I. Joe uh, events there. So please check out Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. Uh, subscribe, follow it. It's from Anchor Podcasts. Uh, tell your friends about it. It's a lot of fun. We have a blast doing it. And uh, I would do it more if I had the time. So there you go. Uh, we are just a few weeks away from Thanksgiving. I already have next week's episode in the can. We're going to be recording our special Black Friday episode this coming Monday. Uh, we had to shuffle some things around because, as always happens this time of year, my work schedule... Well, my work schedule's been goofy as fuck for like two years now, but... Right now, it's a little goofier because the holidays are coming. Uh, I don't care that much about Thanksgiving, so I tend to work overtime around Thanksgiving because other people are taking the time off, and like I like to have the day to be with the family if I can, but it's not one of the more important holidays to me like Christmas or Halloween or uh, Arbor Day, say. Uh, but anyway, so... Because of my schedule, we're not going to be doing a commentary for November. We will be back in December with a commentary. Uh, instead, like I said, we've got a Black Friday special that's going to be going up on Black Friday. Uh, lots of stuff is going on. Uh, we've got, well, we just saw the Eternals. Uh, me and the family went and saw the Eternals. And uh, look, it's not a bad movie, but it's not a good movie. It's my least favorite MCU film to date. It's just dull, and they don't do the work to get you to care about the characters. That's just my take. That's what I got out of it. Uh, If you loved it, if you thought it was awesome, that's cool. But it it didn't do a thing for me. I enjoyed Kit Harington's seven minutes in the movie more than I enjoyed anything about the rest of the movie. Uh, Kumail was Kumail was great. If they want to do a movie just about Kumail's character, uh, then I'm in. That's cool. But other than that, uh, that's a pass. This will be, I think this will be the first MCU movie that I do not purchase uh, on, on my beloved Blu-ray physical media. So uh, next week is Ghostbusters Afterlife. And I have this like subdued excitement about it because so far the trailers aren't showing me that this understands the tone of the first two movies, but I'm still excited. I I still hope it's a great new Ghostbusters movie, but I just don't feel the hype. Uh, Well, I also don't feel the hype as much if it had come out two years ago or whatever like it was supposed to. Uh, But we'll be going to see that in the theater, and then we've got Spider-Man No Way Home right around the corner. Lots of great movies coming up. It's the holiday season. That's how it rolls. Uh, also, I want to mention the Needless Things YouTube channel 
you know, I mention it every week now. It's I, I absolutely love doing the toy reviews. Uh, it adds an element of excitement to opening those figures up that I just really like sharing with you guys. Uh, if you haven't watched them, go check them out. It's the Needless Things YouTube channel. And my intent is to show the toys. Uh, I, I'm not saying nobody wants to see my face, because I'm sure there are people out there who would like, hey, we'd like to see your excitement or talk about the toys. I'm there to show you the toys. Uh, so when I do the videos, it is a close-up shot of me opening the figure or whatever it is up. You see the figure. Because it. what drives me crazy, I don't like watching toy reviews where some dude is sitting there in screen holding up a figure that I can't even see. Uh, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's not a toy review. That's a, this is Ted talking about a toy review and I talk about it and I show it to you. So that's, that's why I do things the way that I do things. Uh, I have been told that my stubbornness in doing things the way that I do things is maybe not always good, but I, I don't really care because I do them the way I want to do them because I want to enjoy doing them. So go check out the Needless Things YouTube channel. Uh, this week, Reviews went up for G.I. Joe Classified Series uh, from Snake Eyes Origins, Akiko, uh, the Cobra, Special Missions Cobra Island Barbecue, and the Master of Disguise, Zartan. All went up. I wanted to do one for the Origins uh, Scarlet figure, but I have not been able to get one yet. Uh, and, and as always happens, you'll hear a little bit more about this next week, but I love BigBadToyStore.com. We'll be talking about them in a second here. Uh, I'm I'm a huge fan. They are my favorite internet toy source, and what happens every single time is I place an order, and then do my like it goes into your pile of loot. They sort of hold stuff for you, so stuff comes into the pile of loot, and I wait and I wait, and I'm like, okay, there should be one more thing coming, and then it doesn't come, doesn't come, and I'm like, you know what? Ship my pile of loot because it's four bucks to ship. All of whatever you've ordered that's built up over time, they ship it. So every single time, without fail, when I finally say, all right, the other stuff's not coming in, go ahead and ship my pile of loot, the very next day, the very next day, something comes in. That's just how it works, and that's fine. So I should have gone ahead and ordered the Scarlet and had my pile of loot shipped like a week ago, and then I could have reviewed it, but uh, I didn't do that. So whatever. That was, that was a long roundabout way of saying, uh, check out BigBadToyStore.com and their excellent pile of loot pre-order system. Uh, I also want to talk about the RoboSkull Mark II Kickstarter. I've talked about it here. I've talked about it on Audible Interlude. Well, it ends tomorrow. This is your last chance to pledge and get this incredible toy for the Kickstarter price. I can't. I don't have time to tell you about all of the things in this Kickstarter, in this campaign, uh, I can just tell you that if the idea of a giant red skull with articulated TIE fighter wings that turn into almost like spider legs, not really, that's overselling it a little, but it does, they do turn into like ground navigating apparatus, I guess. So picture that, 
And if that appeals to you at all, go check out, go to Kickstarter, just look up Kickstarter Robo Skull. Uh, you can see the history of the Robo Skull vehicle if you Google it. This thing just looks absolutely phenomenal, and I couldn't not have one. So I backed it. I wish I had gone all in from the beginning. Uh, because the all-in package, the price has escalated as they have added more and more things. This thing has absolutely shredded their goal. It hit its goal in 95 minutes. The goal was $78,000. And it is now, with 50, as I record this, with 51 hours left to go, uh, it is at $476,488. It has blown away every stretch goal they've set. It's it's absolutely incredible. Uh, I can't wait to have this thing. And go check it out and see if it's something that you feel you need to add to your toy shelf. Because it probably is. Uh, Alright, speaking of crowdfunding, uh, I, one more thing I want to mention before we get to the episode. Which, by the way is a panel that was recorded live at DragonCon about the wolves of 1981. Uh, the panel was called Werewolves of 1981, but one of the movies does not feature werewolves at all. So uh, for the purposes of needless things, this is the wolves of 1981. Uh, great live panel. We had a blast talking about an American werewolf in London, the howling and wolfen. But before we get to that, I want to mention one last time, well, probably not one last time, because this campaign actually has more time to go. Uh, let's see here. It is Eagle Force Returns. As of this recording, it has 17 days, 22 hours, and 40 minutes left. And if you go to Big Bad Toy... Well, you can go to FreshMonkeyFiction.com to get updates on all the stretch goals, or all the goals. And you go to BigBadToyStore.com to actually place your orders for these figures... Uh, and I, it's, it's too, again, too much to go into. They are fantastic, uh, 118th scale military slash monster slash fantasy figures. And just to give you a taste of the kind of thing, kinds of things they're doing, uh, they do have gold soldier figures like the original Eagle Force for fig, uh, Force figures, but they also have figures that are, Possibly a pair of video game plumbers, but definitely not. Uh, one that is a male pattern, baldness, uh, anxiety-ridden boyhood character. And one where the check is in the mail. And uh, that's really all I can say. I don't know how specific I want to get. But there is a uh, figure called the Gorgils that is a wacky black lagoon creature type thing that uh, it's backed. Uh, Frank Walsh, which is the one that uh, the check is in the mail guy is backed. Uh, Leon Kelly, who might remind you of a seventies action star is backed. Uh, Blockhead, which is the bald one that you can probably figure out now is backed. Uh, these are all going into production and there are a lot more to come. So yeah, Eagle Force Returns, uh, go check it out. I mean, again, use the Google. You know how it works. But BigBadToyStore.com, they have a ton of individual figures. And and look, these are more than I want to spend for a 118th scale figure. But I'm so charmed by the execution, uh, the look of the figures, and some of the concepts that they've put up here that I, I just I went in on some of them. Not all of them by any means, but I, I went in on some of them. And some of them are going to go really nicely with that Robo Skull Mark II. So uh, there is that. And uh, you guys, I believe that's about all. Oh, uh, one more thing, real quick. 
uh, me and the missus sat down and we watched the newer version of The Stand. Uh, the Stand is my favorite book ever, definitely my favorite Stephen King book. And the new miniseries has a mostly fantastic cast, is done very, very well, but in the editing room, in my opinion, they just ruined it. Because the first, I guess, half of it, it, it looks like it's nine episodes. We thought we were going to finish it today because eight seemed like it had to be the end, but there is a ninth episode. Uh, and it's just the first four or five episodes, they jump back and forth in time. Like, it starts in Boulder after Captain Trips has happened, and and then goes back. It's it's very confusing, and I don't know why they did it that way because it robs us of the opportunity to really get to know the characters and to see them interact. Uh, I, I and you get that in the uh, I guess present day is not the way to say it, but in the Boulder timeline. Uh, but I, it just was chopped to shit in the editing room. Uh, very competently done. The story is great. They they changed a couple of things that I actually like quite a bit. Uh, but but overall, it is very very true to the book. It's just the narrative the the narrative is a mess. Uh, and I wish they hadn't done it that way. And I I would love it if there was a cut out there that moved in a linear fashion uh, from the first scene of Captain Trips all the way through the very end. Uh, so it's on Paramount Plus. I'm not saying don't watch it. I'm saying be prepared to be very, very frustrated by the decisions that are made. Uh, but it's if they had just done it in order, told the story as it should have been told, uh, it would definitely outshine the older Stand miniseries, which is, is, is saying something, because I think for its time it was very well done, uh, especially for being on network television. This one... Uh, could have gone further with a lot of things and didn't, which was a little uh, disappointing because when I was younger and that first stand came out, was it 96? I think it was either 92 or 96. I'm not positive which one it was, but whatever it was, uh, I was disappointed at how tame some of the things seemed because uh, Las Vegas is supposed to be just the the Sodom and Gomorrah, this, this plan of debauchery, and they sort of portray they portrayed that as much as they could on network tv here uh they do go further you do see a lot of wild stuff but i, I think they could have pushed it uh, even a little bit further than they did and normally i'm not one you guys if you've been listening for any amount of time you know this about me i'm not one who like wants things to be edgy or dirty or smutty just for the sake of it but in this instance it's in service of telling the story and demonstrating the extreme differences between Mother Abigail's people and Randall Flagg's people. Uh, so I do actually think it's important to go there in this. And and they do. Look, don't get me wrong. They go there a little bit, but I think they could have gone there more and told the story a lot better. So uh, they're, they're, judge it for yourself. See what you think. Uh, join the Needless Things podcast Facebook group. You can tell us what you think there or follow Needless Things on Twitter. Uh, and if, if you want to tweet at us, uh, what you think of the stand? If you want to invest nine hours of your life into that, uh, which if you're a Stephen King fanatic, you're going to, or, or possibly already have. Uh, so there you go. And uh, now, uh, uh, to keep it on that horror note, it is time to to roll back the clock to DragonCon 2021, where we recorded this panel in front of a live, packed 
Locked Room for the Dragon Con Horror Track. We had a blast talking about wolves, specifically the wolves of 5:30, so we're gonna go ahead and start the panel. Uh, welcome everybody to the Dragon Con Horror Track. Where we're gonna be talking about 1981 Year in Werewolves. Uh, before we get started, just a few bits of business. One, if you can, please donate to uh, the charity for Big Brothers Big Sisters of Metro Atlanta. If you have any spare change, it really helps out. We love uh, you know supporting great causes like this. And also, um, we uh, will have to clear out the room pretty quickly at 6:30 uh, for the next panel. Uh, just a a word of warning. Just like Great. that. Perfect example. Such a good Samaritan, yes. And we'll be introducing him in a moment. Let's go ahead. Uh, we'll go down the panel here to introduce our panelists. I'll just start. I'm the moderator, Thomas Mariani. I do a podcast called Double Edge Double Bill. I am blatantly advertising on my mask. Um, and it's a podcast where we cover a good and a bad movie every single week. We're part of the ESO Network, uh, who has a great presence around here. Uh, but let's keep going down the line. Um, I'm Christopher G. Moore. I'm a horror filmmaker. My newest film, Backward Creep, is uh, currently on the film festival circuit, and we're going to make that into a feature film. I also did a segment for an upcoming travel horror anthology called Worst Lay Plans. It'll be released sometime next year. I'm also a podcaster with horror news, with the Gruesome Magazine people. I do horror news radio as well as uh, Heroes and Droids. I'm Ryan Cadaver. Uh, I'm the vocalist for the horror rock band, The Casket Creatures. Um, I'm also part of the Needless Commentary team and part of the Big Damn Game Show. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Uh, I am Nicole Cadaver, um, horror geek, podcaster, part of the Needless Commentary team. I also run a podcast called Caught Dead Watching about uh, terrible movies, mostly horror, but sometimes we go into action as well. Um, and also part of the Big Dan Game Show, etc. I'm Dave West. I do the Needless Things podcast and the Needless Things YouTube channel. Uh, please check them out. Toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. Yes, and so uh, today uh, with the 1981, we'll specifically be talking about um, American Werewolf in London, uh, The Howling, and Wolfen. I'm sorry, Full Moon High fans. We won't be talking about that this evening, but um, I did just want to get a quick show of hands here. Who here has seen American Werewolf in London? Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, yes. uh, who, now, who here has seen The Howling? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. all right. Who here has seen Wolfen? Ah. Uh. Oh, okay. Uh, more than I expected, but you, <laughs> it's pretty clear that's the, at least the elite lesser scene of the three. That's what I'm kind of curious, though, for everybody here. What is your experience uh, with all three of these movies? Which one did you see first? And which ones maybe are you more partial to than the others? Start down the line here, Christopher. Uh, I'm not sure which one I saw first. I mean, I know I saw all three of them. Um, Wolfen is definitely my least favorite. I had issues with it. Uh, it feels like the least werewolfy type film, and it annoyed me. But um, but I was a big fan of The Howling, and of course American Horror, uh, American American Horror Story, American Werewolf in London, um, and uh, I mean. The, the Howling and Werewolf in London, which definitely have a connection effects artist-wise, but it, the effects in it are so great. And I also love that they both have their own elements of 
comedy as someone who's a huge fan of horror comedy. So, and they sort of walk that line, and they're able to, to create a tone that's that can be both um, frightening as well as uh, comedic. Although I, I feel like The Howling's probably more comedic uh, than scary. But uh, but yeah, they're they're they're, they're both great films. Uh, yeah, Wolfen Wolfen's a weird a weird bird, but it, it's. It has its moments, but definitely my least favorite. It always annoyed me when I was younger. Yeah, um, American Werewolf was uh, in London was definitely the first one I saw out of the bunch. Um, but yeah, I obviously love The Howling. Uh, Wolfen, I actually watched for this panel. Uh, it was the only one that I hadn't seen. And uh, I was like, this is really good, but maybe not for me. But uh, as far as the comedy sensibilities of American Werewolf in London and The Howling, uh, those have always been my jams. As a fan of somebody who, like, I'm a fan of, like, kind of hokey, like, goofy <laughs> horror. And, uh, you know, some of these uh, completely work for me. Uh, the first one I saw was American Werewolf. Um, and it's my favorite of the three, which I think is probably a pretty common opinion. Um, Love the howling. I saw Wolfen years ago, and it didn't really grab me. Um, didn't remember it super well. So over the past month or so, I've actually watched it again twice, and I just kind of feel the same about it. Like it's hard for me to sit down and put a hundred percent focus into watching it. I don't know why it can't. I I, I get very ADD out when I'm watching it. I have trouble investing in it. Well, gee willikers, I'm glad I am here to defend the honor of the great Wolfen <laughs> featuring naked Edward James Olmos and the phenomenal Gregory Hines. You people are heathens. I'm just kidding. Wolfen's not really all that great. Uh, I saw an American Werewolf in London first. Uh, it, was, it was one of the earlier horror movies that I saw. I saw it at that age where... You, you feel like really cool, like, ooh, I'm sneaking watching something I probably shouldn't be watching. And then like halfway through, you're like, I shouldn't be watching this. I shouldn't be watching yeah. this. Uh, and then Howling, for a long time, kind of escaped me for some reason. And I love werewolves. Um, and I don't know how the Howling, like, and I mean, I've seen it, I saw it like 20 years ago or whatever, but I'm an old, old man, so that was late in life for me. Uh, and re-watching the Howling, I was reminded of why I don't watch The Howling that often. <laughs> but we'll talk about that. That's what we're here for. Well, we will. Um, and I mean, for me, I, I think it's a similar story where I definitely watched American Werewolf in London first. Uh, my dad loved showing me horror comedies. That was a favorite of his. And uh, it was another great story of, oh, I can let you watch all this horrible gore, but the moment, like, Jenny O'Gutter and David Dalton have, like, that sex montage, it's like, nope, can't see any of this. But wait, he'll get decapitated, you're fine. You're fine, you're like seven. You're cool with that. Yeah. Um, but then, like, The Howling, I remember getting into because I loved Gremlins as a kid. And I became, like, a big Joe Dante person. And I was like, oh, I gotta, like, look at his other movies. And it's so weird how The Howling is, like, the next step, his next movie, pretty much, as uh, Gremlins. It's just such a weird, like, connecting point. There's a bit more of this adult thing, which I think comes from John Sales, who had also written, like, Piranha and was a really great sort of, like, uh, uh, genre social satire kind of director and similarly I had not seen Wolfen and I think Wolfen is fascinating for a few things I think particularly the steady cam which it was an early adopter of a lot of the sort of POV camera stuff of the uh, the werewolf stuff's interesting and there's a few people like 
Gregory Hines is mentioned. Love Gregory Hines. Also, Tom Noonan. Like, there's a scene where the two of them are looking over, like, the cadaver remains. Oh, that's Why a great isn't scene. this the movie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this this yeah. should be that the was a really, yeah. basically between these two uh, instead of Albert Finney and uh, his very bored face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I, I watched The Wolfen and I'm like, I, I can see that this is a good movie. Like, I can recognize that. And I feel like I should like it a lot more than I do. Um, I, I like Albert Finney. Gregory yeah. Hines is amazing. The, the opening scene is fantastic. The camera work is really good. Um, the gore is great. The, the POV shots are all really good. There's so many good things about it. It's just a, like a stew that doesn't quite work for me. I don't know. It I think more... if it had been an episode of Kolchak, it would have been a lot better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, like, I'm not yeah. even kidding. Jared yeah. McGavin rather than Albert yeah. Finney. Yeah. yeah. It, I love the separate elements of it. I, and, you know, and I, I know we're probably going to talk about Naked Edward James almost. Yes. But yeah. I mean, beyond even just talking about him here. running around with his wiener out, like that poor, but his performance in that is really, really good. He's because yeah. he's kind of like faking the werewolf thing, um, you know, without any sort of um, you know, werewolf transformation. And it's a really amazing moment. Um, nakedness aside and the fact that he's performing that whole thing naked it should be a movie that I love more but it's like I like all these elements of it but I just can't well, yeah, I, I, I don't know I don't understand I don't know I think as a, as a film as film viewers as people who love horror I think really the biggest challenge of that movie is that it does so often get related to the werewolf yeah. genre yeah that's so it. that incredible scene where he's doing the fake transformation because it's what Albert Finney expects it's what the audience expects and then they don't deliver, you're disappointed. You can't help but be disappointed, but that's not the point. The yeah. point is that it doesn't do that and that it is a different thing. And I think, you know, maybe five years from now when I go back and watch it again, I'll maybe. appreciate that yeah. a little bit more. And normally I'm all for like subverting my expectations right, and right. doing something different, but I, I don't know why. Well, yeah, I mean, to be fair, with all three of these movies, there's a lot of nudity involved anyway well and yay 80s let's let's also mention we get to see albert finney's ass as well okay so that's true that's let's, true let's that's give true. let's give it up for albert, albert finney's ass uh, no, don't clap that lots yeah. of male nudity no well i love it i will say it's um i mean the cinematography in it there, there's an art there's an art uh, uh, installation fetish in this film <laughs> where it's a lot of shots behind art and it's shot really well yeah but then it's just weird things. You have these weird things where people in this in this sort of like room typing on computers and looking at video <laughs> screens, and, and it's like, what is happening? And, here? Yeah. <laughs> it goes a little too long. Yeah, and yeah. and then like and then you go from like these beautiful shots to where it's like the early thermography that they used in the Predator stuff. Yeah. But it's yeah. it looks like the really bad filter you used to have on those old video cameras yeah. that will do a negative effect. And it sort of makes it feel like you're watching video, and it kind of takes you out of it. So, yeah. so it's like it's a smattering of so many things that doesn't work. But at the same time, I will say the the there's some really really great dialogue pieces. There's there's a um, there's one piece where um, uh, what's his name for White Knights? Um, Gregory Hines. Gregory Hines, uh, where he talks about like when you cut a person's head off. They could still be cognizant for like a minute, and it's a really, it's a really creepy scene and yeah. really well written. And those are the scenes that had me, like, really interested. Yeah. Uh, other than the the weird, mystical wolves that sh show up, and I think that's what I was kind of very disappointed. I just like I don't want to see 
wolves. Like, oh, yeah. it's, it's I want to see like werewolves. Yeah. So. It's I, really smart wolves. True. I am curious with this in terms of, so we're talking about a lot of expectations that Wolfman kind of broke. What are sort of your expectations for a werewolf movie? Especially, like, it's not as common a horror genre. We don't get, I think, mainly because, quite frankly, to do it in the American werewolf or howling way, it's a lot more expensive. Mm -hmm. yeah. As opposed to vampires or whatever zombies that you get a dime a dozen. What do you what do you guys think makes a good werewolf movie, and what are some maybe examples from these uh, three movies uh, that you might want to spotlight that really exemplify what you like about werewolf movies? I think you have to have an innocent victim. You have to have somebody you know infected with lycanthropy that you feel for, that you have a connection with, so that you're seeing that. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like the Hulk story. You know, we feel bad for Bruce Banner because of what happens to him when he turns into the Hulk, and the werewolf story is kind of a similar thing. Uh, that you've got to have a protagonist that the audience has sympathy for what they're going through and doesn't want to see this horrible thing and the guilt that they're going to have to deal with yeah. over yeah. whatever they do while they're old. Uh, you know, I think that a good werewolf story is kind of expanding on what you said. It, it's ex um, exploring our animalistic side, which everyone has. So you take a, a protagonist who's you know, a, a good normal person, and then you put them in this um, extraordinary circumstances, and you know they, you kind of strip away their conscious and their you know understanding right from wrong, and you just put them in this primal animalistic place, um, and kind of like let them, you know, just become you know violent and. You know, a lot of the things in, in the howling are like hypersexual, hyperviolent, things like that. So it's just really exploring our deepest, most animalistic place inside of us. For me, uh, great werewolf movies, it's like it all comes down to how the creature actually ends up looking because yes. there's so many of them where they build it up and build it up and build it up. And then you see the werewolf and you're like, really? That's it. It's like a guy Are with a you fake kidding beard. Me? Yeah. Uh, but thankfully, these two movies specifically, like, uh, incredible, mind blowing, game changing. Well, I mean, you know, I know me. I just want to see a really great transformation. Yeah. Uh, and it, and as a filmmaker, I know how hard it is. I know some people that may try to make short films, and it's hard to. Even the show Creep Show had like a, a werewolf transformation. They just flipped the pages in the comics instead of actually showing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there was a there was a show on Netflix, Eli Roth, where people just bursted out of their skin. So oh, yeah. it's always very yeah. interesting when you can it, put yeah. some kind of interesting spin on it, and I, that's what I love. I mean, those two films in the '80s really broke ground when it came to creating effects to make that seem real, and a lot of that's due through editing, through. I mean, when you're working with an effects guy, you have to make sure shots sell that effects thing because not everything's going to work as well. And you have to use so many different formats to make it all meld together. I think it's also interesting to examine, you know, we've got uh, American Werewolf in London, you've got Rick Baker. Mm -hmm. um, Rick Baker was actually signed on to The Howling initially mm -hmm. because he had been... Um, going to work on American Werewolf for years and years and years and it wasn't getting made and it wasn't getting made so he was approached about The Howling and he signed on to that and then um, they came to him and said oh hey we're finally making it and so he put The Howling um, in the hands of his like apprentice essentially and then went to work on American Werewolf so you kind of see two different styles of doing the transformation that 
um, are, are somewhat not similar, but then they go you know different ways. Where in the howling, you've got like the uh, the airbags under the skin, and everything is very like bulging Pulsating. and pul yeah, and it's <laughs> it's very like alien feeling and really weird, you know. And then obviously, um, I think probably the greatest werewolf transformation ever on film is American Werewolf in London. I, I don't I don't know that anybody would even argue with me on that one, but if you go back and watch The Howling, like that transformation is is phenomenal as well. It's just to me, it's more disturbing because it's like, but I think it's kind of cool to see like sort of similar styles that diverge in those two different transformations. Yeah, except it's Rob Button, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Howling is incredible as well. Um, one of the, the right after the scene, we do like the Thing special effects, um, but. Yeah, I think Dave really hit it on the head in terms of like that feeling of like regret and sort of the, the that empathy that you would have toward the protagonist, which I think is done so well with David Dalton, who is just this kid yes. going backpacking with his friend, and then he, his friend dies and he becomes a werewolf. There, there's so much there. Whereas I think Howling kind of tries to play it a bit in the middle, where like I love Dee Wallace, I think she's yeah. the one that holds that movie together. Yeah. Oh yeah, but Absolutely. at the same time, there's also the mystery element, which I think is what really kind of sinks Wolfen, and how much we don't really have as much an emotional attachment to the people who um, do become werewolves, which is a bummer, because I like at least the idea of like these natives who have been just kind of like, you know, forgotten by New York, kind of seeking revengeance in this way. I think it's an interesting idea, but it's really sidelined for Albert Finney and that one, um, her, his female partner, mm. who are just kind of like, have this whirlwind romance. That comes, that comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what think, is happening? I think you meant to say unbelievable romance. Well, yeah. <laughs> He's like I, looking in her apartment for something, and then they, just, they hook up, and I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> this doesn't happen Did in I real life. Did I miss a scene? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I was going to say something. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the it is kind of interesting to see. I mean, it's also kind of interesting to see how Howling and, and American Wolf treat their werewolves differently. And Howling, you have people that are glad to be werewolves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. American Werewolf, you have this guy who doesn't want to be, you know, or doesn't even know what's happening. So it's kind of interesting to see that sort of two different styles of uh, the werewolf and how the, how they're affected by it. What would you guys say is maybe the biggest similarity you find in these three movies? What's like a connecting thread that I think kind of um, at least like would connect them beyond obviously just the fact that they're werewolves? Like maybe some thematic stuff or even like some of the maybe uses of like characters or humor that you might have noticed that like connects the three of them. Goofy detectives, I guess? <laughs> or, or goofy investigators? Because there's these people working for a TV station. They're just going into a crime scene. <laughs> before the police get there. But I mean, they're all investigating, trying to find certain things out, and there's there's always a element of humor with some of the people involved with it, you know? I mean, like... Uh, yeah, even in Wolfen, it's like gallows humor. Yeah, yeah, it's more more morbid, but then you have American Werewolf in London, where you have, there's that one guy who has the sidekick who's always knocking shit over and, <laughs> yeah. and adding a little bit of humor, probably when there doesn't need to be, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's the main thing. Is like there seems to be the, the investigative part where they're trying to find out what's happening. I know that like um, the Howling, they they kind of marketed it w initially without it being a werewolf film. It was almost more like a slasher film, trying to find out this killer. And to where a lot of people didn't know that it was a werewolf film until they had to like. I think there was there was one point where they were tried to market it along with um, slasher films. They're like, no, 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 this is a werewolf film, because in the beginning you don't sort of know what's going on. Mm -hmm. 
I think, oh, sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, I think one similarity that's obvious to me is that they're werewolf movies that are set in contemporary times, which, I mean, a lot of times werewolf movies are period pieces. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I just think that that's, you know, uh, a really cool take on it, and it provides for more interesting stories. Um, all three of them are about being displaced in society. Uh, yeah. They're in yeah, werewolf sure. in London. Uh, David is not in his home country. He's very isolated and alone here. You know, he makes the one connection with the nurse, but think about, you know, being in a different place and experiencing this this horrifying thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the howling, you know, you have this whole tribe of people who are displayed, who have involuntarily displaced themselves from society because of their unique natures. Uh, and, and also, I think you have, you know, Dee Wallace, Karen, uh, is displaced by this trauma that she's been through. So that's, yes, yes. That, you know, absolutely. Uh, where she's struggling with, you know, this very real, terrifying experience that she had. Of meeting Robert Picardo. Yes. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, finally, Wolfen, obviously, is, is the most blatant one of this, you know, whole species uh, that, that is in New York and unrecognized by the world at large. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think another one we kind of have mentioned offhand is just these movies have weird casts. Where yeah. People just show up suddenly. Like, obviously, like, in Joe Dante has done that plenty of times. Where, like, this is an early Joe Dante, but it's like, oh, John Carradine shows up, or uh, Patrick McNee, um, people like, or my favorite is the big, the sort of deuce ex machina of the movie is played by Dennis Dugan, who, if you don't know, would later go on to direct a bunch of Adam Sandler movies. Oh, weird. The, the main guy who shoots down all the werewolves is the guy who directed, like, Jack and Jill in Gross. <laughs> and also, you can't forget Dick Miller, who plays a Walter Paisley for, I think, the third out of six or seven times. Yeah, um, he's the character from Bucket of Blood. Yeah, yeah, he he actually apparently owned that name. Uh, he yeah. had a copyright on the name Walter Paisley. Uh, so, you know, for S's and G's, he had played like six or seven different characters named Walter Paisley or something close to Walter Paisley. Well, a lot of the characters in The Howling were named after directors who directed werewolf films. Yes. Mm -hmm. so. And even Roger Corman, who directed Bucket of Blood, shows up and is the guy that gets in the telephone booth. Well, well I think like Joe Dante is like your first like fanboy movie maker. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's kind of more common now with our generation that have grew up with these, but like he was like a really early like fan making movies so he well, wanted to put all those nods in there Mick Garris shows up in the, in, in the, end, the very end when yes. they're going through different people uh, that are responding to the thing that happens on the television well that's another thing I think is that these uh, especially with Dante and John Landers who directed American Wolf in London they're the first directors to come from the generation that was raised on television mm -hmm. so there's a lot of that um, not so much with I forgot the director of Wolfen, but he's another weird case for like his only other movie before this was the Woodstock documentary. Yeah. Michael Wadley, who, who yes. did a lot of like, it makes sense that he directed Wolfen because if you look, he did a lot of like socially relevant documentaries. Yeah. So it it fits, even though it's it's different. It's not a documentary. It fits into his resume. And never did anything after Wolfen, pretty right. much. Just, Which, I mean, you know, maybe it's he kind decided, of like, I don't like making movie movies. It's kind of like Wolfen. It fits, but it doesn't. Yeah. I, yeah <laughs> you know, it fits, yeah. but it's odd. Absolutely. <laughs> For sure. Um, and uh, I, I guess um, we, we can open this up, by the way, if anybody in the audience has any comments or questions. Yeah. Uh, American Werewolf in London, I think, is just so great and done on, on so many great levels that, like, every werewolf movie after that just pales in comparison. It's almost 
unless you have something really fresh, it's nearly pointless to make a, a werewolf movie because that movie is so good. Yeah, there, there aren't as many world movies post this year that I think really stand out. There's like one, I would say probably my favorite post this is like a Ginger Snaps. Yeah. I agree 100%. Yeah. Which also like brought something interesting. Well, and Dog Soldiers. Dog Soldiers. Yeah, yeah Dog Soldiers. Dog Soldiers is probably my favorite werewolf movie. But every werewolf movie going forward will always be compared oh, to American to Werewolf oh, in London. Yeah. Yes, and, and The Howling, but you know. Although, if you look at it, American Werewolf London also has the weird... Uh, like nightmare sequences and yes, stuff that best. make it a little bit different than your normal like straight yeah. story. I mean, when you have like sort of n Nazi creatures machine gunning his family down, that's a very odd thing to throw. Yeah. So it not only does it tell like a normal story, but at the same time it incorporates these weird like visions. I mean, his friend keeps showing up and decaying every time he sees it. You well, know? When I was a kid, that stuff is what scared me more than the werewolf. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like. That was the part of the movie where I said I shouldn't be watching this. Like that yeah. was it, uh, and that, that and I love that that stuff was incorporated in that way because it is essentially a movie built around one werewolf transformation scene. Yeah, that's that's it. So to creatively come up with more for the plot, to give him those nightmare visions, to have his best friend as sort of his his spirit guide, which. Which, by the way, your best buddy telling you constantly, you gotta kill yourself, pal. Yeah, <laughs> it's awful. It's a little rough. It's kind of and also trying to take that toast, man. Yeah, that's yeah. hospital toast. Don't try to take that with your neck flapped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it, I, I guess to expand the mythology that you know these people can't die, that your victims can't die right. until you die. So. I love that aspect that adds that extra little tinge of horror to it that makes it more than just a normal werewolf film. Yeah. And guilt and empathy. Yeah. But there's also just a real humor that I do love, particularly with like the sequence in the porn theater, where it's all the various victims that are arguing with uh, Griffin Dunn and David yes. Dunn. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. such a darkly funny bit in American Werewolf. Oh, yeah. Just like, uh, how can I do it? A drowning! All of a sudden, <laughs> stuff, like, such, so many like, still perfect little bits. Even like when earlier, when um, I think they kind of create the one jump scare where like you close the mirror in the bathroom. That was like an early example of it. And like the whole thing with Griffin Dunn having like the little Mickey Mouse toy. It was like, hi David! Yeah, I was yeah. like, I was thinking, did Disney give them rights to use that? Uh, or especially that cut in the middle of the horrific <laughs> giant werewolf transformation. Just the cut to the little toy looking over at David Dunn. All the, it, yeah. Yeah. It is yeah. kind of kinda weird that we have two different Horn places in both of the the howling and yeah the beginning of the yeah, howling which, which yes. prominently uh, in each movie which the the porn place that in the howling is actually a real porn place yeah yes and, and she was uh, very she's very uncomfortable I think she's from like the Midwest she's never from been Kansas and yeah. she's um, she just seems she's ET's mom you know which she ends up being the next year but you know you just get that feeling from D Wallace of like uh, innocence and almost purity and so you throwing her and the opening sequence of the howling is so like i love it visceral because you can tell that she's so frightened and out of place um and and she's just 100 percent in that moment and in that role um and she i saw an interview with her where she's extremely uncomfortable about being in in the porn store, mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that she had ever been in a in a, an environment like that before, and you know, but you, but that comes across in her performance, and I think that's why she works 
in that role yes. is because you just feel her being, you know, just very damaged by this entire experience. And, and how much she also puts you in her perspective where, like, how dark that room is. Yes. And how, like, the only glimpses you see of Picardo are very small, but it's just, yes. like, it really shows, like, you're, you feel that unease with her as you're trapped in this little environment. Yeah. Yes? Uh, preparing what came after, did an American werewolf in Paris do anything better than no. Nope. No. No. Next question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would just like to take a moment to acknowledge uh, if, if you're if you like me are tracking the continuity of R. J. Fletcher, uh, Kevin McCarthy appears in the Howling, and clearly he worked for Channel Six before becoming the CEO of Channel Eight. And if you get that reference, <laughs> you are my friend. Yeah. The, the follow-ups of these movies are interesting, particularly how the Howling has like how many sequels? Oh yeah, just like way too many, <laughs> um, and the only one worth watching is two with Christopher Lee, which well, is still here. Well, I think I think a lot of that has to do with like, okay, we can now do transformations in CGI, and it it, it seems too CGI, and you, it makes you kind of miss those practical effects transformations. Absolutely. Um, so I think that was probably the main issue. It's like, and now we can have the. The marsupials. Werewolf, yeah. Oh, marsupials, yeah. Let's not even go there. Um, uh, put some, put your head in his pocket. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's the main issue. It's like when you compare that, it's, it's sort of like uh, what they did with the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, to where they do a lot of more CGI stuff, and it doesn't compare to seeing like it has no punch. Some of the physical it sucks. Stuff. Yeah. And I'm not anti CGI no. at all, but I think the combination of CGI and practical is is the way to go. Yeah. Better. Yeah. yeah. Very early CGI here too. We're talking like it's hard to get scared of something that looks like it came off a PlayStation One. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. True. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. Have you ever seen Lawnmower Man? <laughs> <laughs> That's scary, right? A true terror. Yeah. True terror. Yeah. <laughs> scary for a different um, reason. Yeah. yeah. So, so looking at that, just thinking about how werewolves have such a connection to like the urban setting, or uh, particularly with, uh, with what we saw with like American Werewolf in London, and and and, and looking at uh, Wolfman, uh, like why don't we think more werewolf movies are made today? Like considering there's so much you can tell uh, with with like werewolves in our modern society and, and connecting it to just urban reality. Why don't we see more I, I think it's budget. Yeah. Quite because like it, it when we have this expectation that's set by like an American World of London or Howling of just like oh a great transformation sequence, and most movies like unless you have a solid amount of money can't quite deliver that, and if they do they're going to do it with CG that looks bad anyway. Um, I think a lot of them are just like kind of fearful as opposed to like a vampire movie super cheap to do a zombie movie. Lord knows how many of those just come out every year that are like super cheap. I think werewolf movies are very selective, unfortunately. Yeah, I think a werewolf movie has to deliver with a good monster. Um, whereas in some other, you know, like vampire zombies, stuff like that, it can be a little cheesy and still the movie can still work. But, I mean, <clears throat> I'm sure that we've all seen some really cheesy werewolf movies and really cheesy werewolf transformations. And if you aren't able to deliver that creature... That, you know, your your whole movie's kind of hinging on that, as opposed to maybe some other subgenres. Well, and also, with vampires, vampires can talk. With zombie movies, you have your 
group of protagonists surviving against the zombies with a werewolf movie, unless it's Teen Wolf, <laughs> your protagonist spends a portion of that time unable to deliver dialogue, and it, I, I think, and you could get creative. There are a lot of options for doing cool werewolf werewolf stuff, but everything <clears throat> has to go through the Hollywood system, and I think in general it's kind of difficult to tell a, a different interesting werewolf story. It essentially does have to be poor innocent person gets turned into a werewolf like and, and I'm not saying there are not other options but again we, we go through Hollywood with this stuff and getting too out there which is one of the things that I respect the heck out of for the Howling franchise yeah. is they got wacky oh they oh, went yeah. out there they and went then way out there <laughs> and I, I do think if we want more modern werewolf stories that, that somebody with a vision is going to have to do something like that or else we're just going to get remakes of the Wolfman American Werewolf in London whatever yeah I think American but not werewolf. that I'm against those yeah. things yes I'm just curious why you think the werewolf has to be the protagonist can he be uh, a force that's, that's very true opposing our hero something our hero has to overcome can you use the, the werewolf to symbolize something, say, like a sexual predator, and your main character could be female who's in opposition to this? Well, creature. I think that the howling kind yeah, of does howling. that. Yeah. Right. Um, with the protagonist, and, I, and yeah. I, I don't agree that David in American Werewolf is our protagonist. I would argue that Jenny Agutter is the protagonist in that film, because she's the one who makes that connection with him and lives to regret it. Because she's kind of the hero in the story, and he is not at all a hero. If he was a hero, he would have killed himself like his friend told him to. Well, I, I, I don't <laughs> think protagonist means hero. Yeah. Protagonist is the person you identify with. And but it we, doesn't mean hero. But are we supposed to identify with him? I, 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 I yes. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. So, so the, and this is what you have to look at. Um, if I were in his role, I wouldn't just immediately say, well, just got to dust myself, no problem. I'd struggle and I'd suffer. I'd yeah. go through what he went through. And yes, if we're watching something idealistic, sure, we want the hero to do the right thing, but then that's a pretty short damn movie, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and at the same time, what I do like about that movie, though, is that they're able to give, like, a Jenny Gunter uh, a solid amount of character. Like, I, you, she could be a lot more disposable in worse hands, but I think her performance in particular makes, like, his, him even more unwilling to, like, potentially do that because she's such a nice charming person that mm -hmm. he has like a really solid connection with i think that makes what we're talking about where like his regret about his like his, the sort of like tug and pull that he has a lot more relatable interesting in a way that makes him i think a, a really solid protagonist in that movie but, but i will say you're right yeah. The, yeah. the protagonist does not have to be the one who's infected but i do think it's a common theme by most werewolf movies that, that goes back to the, the wolfman from the universal monster movie He's actually the main character. But I've always been fascinated by the idea of pushing, the, making him the monster and having the protagonist, the hero, be the person who's in opposition to that. To me, like, that's very kind of what we have in The Howling, is she goes into this den of, of predators, essentially. Um, you know, and they're, again, hypersexual, hyperviolent. Um, and we don't know what's going on with Karen until the very end that she's actually um, turned or, or you know become a werewolf as well so you know I kind of feel like the howling fills that role yeah. in a lot of ways which Shannon also we, we've mentioned it briefly but Robert Picardo is unsettling yes in the howling in a way that I 
I just knew him from like, oh, it's like the funny assistant from Gremlins 2. <laughs> or yeah. like, I show up on Star Trek as like the a hologram guy, as opposed to in that movie, especially like when he's, after he's been attacked, and you see him like the last time in his like half melted makeup. Yeah. Is astonishing. That's like really, really good stuff. He, they could have made a movie just about him being just a serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, it yeah. It would have been great. Like without even the werewolf element. He was so good at it. Well, yeah. and there's a guy who's definitely not the protagonist. I mean, he, <laughs> he's definitely a killer werewolf. And so it would, it would, if you could have like a film where he's just the bad guy going after people, that would be very interesting. And stuff. What does he say? I'm going to light your world on fire or. Well, I do know that the line he says, uh, he says have, set, have, your set your body on yeah. fire. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so creepy. Well, he says the line like, um, "Have a piece." Here's a piece of my mind, or whatever. That was yes. an improvised oh, line. Yeah, yeah. He made that up on the spot. And it was, it was like a joke too. Yeah. It was like, "Ha ha!" What would you say? Oh, here's a piece of my mind. And they were like, "Oh no no, yeah, do that, do that." <laughs> and I guess the distinction really for me. Um, when you say werewolf movie, what comes to my mind is what I said, and and if it turns into something else where the werewolf, like where you, you're like a werewolf hunter movie or whatever, that's that. Yes, werewolves are in it, but that's more of a monster movie. That's more of a there. There's to me a, a good werewolf movie needs that sympathetic angle, uh, and I'm not saying there aren't awesome ones that you know is just folks fighting werewolves, but uh, I, I like the drama. That, that's presented by the conflict and by the struggle. I just think you can create the drama without that. I understand what you're saying. I just think the drama could be with the people who are being victimized by the werewolves. Right. Sure, but then, it, I mean, yeah. th then, then, to me, then it's no longer special because that could be werewolves, it could be zombies, it could be fish people, it yeah. could be anything. Uh, and I'm not saying, again, it wouldn't be an awesome movie. I'd watch it. But that, that to me, is a different kind of thing. That, that so bullying. Isn't, yeah. 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 Absolutely. True. Yeah. Yeah, good point. That bad, horrible werewolf there. <laughs> but you had Corey Hank. And Gary Busey. And Gary Busey. Gary Busey, yeah. really. Yeah, he's the star of that movie. Yeah. He's the star of everything. Like everything. Any other? Uh, yes, you. We're focusing a lot on the howling, so apologize for hurt me on that. But you know, love all the you know, like we talked about the, the the gore and the pulsation of the transformation stuff. But then you get to the end, he walls like she looks like a teddy bear. Yeah, <laughs> it's so weird. It is. It's kind of cute. It's like. It's like they didn't try. I well, agree. No, but the, the point, intent. it was intentional. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Um, because she was supposed to be the good werewolf. The yeah. one that, because, because they don't need the full moon, right? Because they can transform at will that you've got all these bad werewolves. And, and again, that movie is very, like, exploring, like, the id. Um, so, you know, everybody at the colony is super into being a werewolf, Right. So they're, they want to tear stuff up. They want to delve into that animal side where she's fighting it. She doesn't want to. The only reason she transforms is to expose the werewolves to the world and to say that this is something that's real. So you're getting uh, this transformation where she's not 100% in. She doesn't want to be it. She's not, she doesn't feel it. So right. she just gets little things and little blue eyes. Yeah. Well, if, if you if you listen to uh, the even I think even the bare bones Blu-ray that I got, um, 
it's got a lot of interviews and a commentary. And in, in one of the supplemental materials, uh, they explained that that was the intent because of what she was doing. Not, not that she was necessarily controlling what she looked like or anything, right. Yeah. Right. but just from an audience perspective, they wanted her werewolf to be more sympathetic and the audience would be like, oh, don't shoot that, oh, you know, that, that, is, that was the intent. That part, like, especially after this last rewatch, like, that part does kind of bother me when she gets shot on TV. Like, it's, like, horrific. Yeah. Like, and everyone's just sitting there watching it, and, like, that, that scene gives me chills. And it's it's definitely a commentary on... Uh, Q werewolf aside, the, the media it's still, and, still and, you know, TV consumption generation and all that, where half the people watching it just go, oh, that's weird. Yeah, the cynicism huh. of, yeah. of, oh, look what they can do with effects these days. Yeah. Or even just being like, Hmm. And also, and like at the station, at the station, they're just like cut away. But like, they don't seem that freaked out. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I'd be way more freaked out. Like, and yet just at the same time, how that still is kind of relevant. Where it's just like all that's missing. Just like, oh, what they can do with deep fakes in this thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. That's, that's what's so interesting. It's a lot going in a lot better. And even like, I agree, I have some issues with that design. But even the lead up where she's just like, I want to show you something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, bad. I think when she has that tear go down, it makes it more impactful. But mm-hmm. but yeah. then that. Uh, although I, I now I feel it's a, a, a non-canon Star Wars Ewok adventure. <laughs> it does look uh, like an so Now I know where Ewoks come from. They come from good <laughs> werewolves. The howling yeah. yeah. man of courage. Yeah. And I told, I do see your point, and I'm not trying to take away from that. She definitely is. It, it's, it's a little silly. It's, it's jarring because it is so different. But it was it was very intentional, and I think they wanted it to be super obvious that there's something different about her. As opposed to them. Yeah. If and anybody ever sees a little plush of, of her in a con dealer room, please let me know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm also curious, since we're talking about the world designs, um, I, I've heard some, at least back and forth, about like the Howling Werewolf. Not the, howl, the Howling one, but also what about American Werewolf in London? What do you guys think of like the actual final werewolf design, what we see of it? I think it's incredible. Yeah. That's what I wanted to ask you guys. Do you prefer a more wolfen form, or do you like the big biped werewolves? I, I mean, I like both if they look good. Yeah. But I will say I, I prefer the howling werewolf. Well, I think because he st- he can stand up yeah. on his two legs, yeah. that yeah. seems more scary to me yeah. than just crawling around. I mean, it's it's kind of creepy when the American werewolf's going down the it's middle of the street. It's very low to the ground. But yeah. when, when you have this big, tall-ass werewolf, uh, I don't know. Something about that is more scary to me. I I agree. So conceptually, I like yeah. the howling better. The finished product, I like uh, yeah. the the American werewolf better. But yeah, I like the upright canines. <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Giant would, standing wolf dog. Yeah. No. Yeah, I would say generally, but I think it's because like with the American werewolf one, what peeps me out about it is like it ha- it's on four legs, so it feels like oh, it could be a natural animal, but the face. Oh, yeah. God. yeah. The face is unsettling. There's it nothing natural about that creature. thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and it's also the context of the setting where you have uh, this giant beast running amok just out in public, out yeah. in the streets of yeah. London. It's oh, like, uh, why wasn't, and, and I'll take any opportunity I can to poop on this movie, Friday the 13th Part 8, that's what we wanted. We yeah. wanted Jason in Manhattan like that werewolf because that set a standard for public chaos like yeah. seeing this unnatural horrifying thing and P and granted we see people reacting to it more than we actually see it but it is out there running through the subway running through the streets yeah. like 
that movie becomes very intense at that point because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what that's capable of, and you don't know where the film is willing to take the carnage. Well, that and a lot of people end up dying just because of the chaos involved with right, it. They're not, not even, even killed by the werewolf. People yeah, are like, yes. there's like a person that goes to the window of their car. That is I mean, director John Landis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Who actually is the one who goes through the window. Right. I, oh, I think really? all three yeah. of these movies have such a great use of setting. I would say, like, even with a wolf, and I love the stuff in the abandoned church. I think that's probably my favorite sequence. That whole mm -hmm. wasteland is, I, I wish they had made more use of right. that. Right. Yeah. The stuff about urban decay is fairly fascinating, but like you mentioned with the Piccadilly Circus sequence, where it's not just even the werewolf is attacking everybody, it's yeah. just that other chaos is going on, like people are flying out of cars, or like the double-decker buses and stuff like that, or even yeah. in the howling also, even those eerie sort of redwood California forests yeah. also have just like this other natural thing where it's like, oh, it's not like the... Wolfman on a set for us that we saw in the forest. Yeah, yeah. It's this environment that feels like lived in and breathing, and you're just wolves are a part of it, and uh, they're uh, they're bonking each other in the middle of it. <laughs> also talking about the setting, I just love the slaughtered lamb. I just love the. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to be there and have a drink. We have a little flag that hangs outside of our house. The, the slaughtered, the slaughtered lamb. lamb, like sign, it hangs in the front of our house. We, we if, if you ever, uh, for those who have ever been to like Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah. John Landis was uh, uh, actually helped him with that, and it felt like walking onto the set. It was yes. incredible. Yeah, has anybody it's else been through that haunt? It was, it was incredible. It was life changing, and they did it. It was so good, it won awards, and they did it two years in a row because yeah. it's literally walking through the movie. Yeah. It's incredible. You walk through the slaughtered land, you go onto the moors, you go through the subways. It's incredible. We had a comment in the back over there. Do you think the things that we call campy now? American Werewolf is very much trying to do like that horror comedy balance. It's yeah. one of I would argue like I always say that like horror and comedy go so well together because like both describe like either scare or comedy sequences as gags. So I think they're definitely with that particular movie trying to do it a bit more. I think Howling and especially Wolfen maybe suffer a bit more because they're being slightly more serious. But even Howling has a couple moments like that. Wolfen though is like a dead serious one. I think that's yeah. where some of the more creamy things. And even Howling has like some problems. Like my biggest thing with the designs and that is just the like the few moments of, like stop motion that looked really rough. Like of the literal end. animation when yeah. the, during the mating scene. Yes. Yeah. Where it's literally just animated. Yeah. yeah. But because they really had no other way to do it. Right. Well, the stop motion was supposed to be a bigger part, and they even realized this does not look good. <laughs> so they they put it over a dissolve, so you don't really see it. Oh yeah, because there's a whole scene, and you can find it online of after they set the barn on fire mm -hmm. of stop motion werewolves like wallowing <laughs> around in the fire that they just had to cut because it just didn't work. Well, but also, it's awesome to see. Also, the the big transformation scene. Um, the reason it's so long is. The, when they were selling the picture, selling the picture of the people that were like giving the money, they're like, "Hey, this looks great. Don't edit it at all." Because uh, I think uh, Joe Dante just recently was on a podcast talking about it, and so it always irks him that he could edit it. So you have this long sequence where she keeps looking at it. <laughs> right, right, right. She could have run away a long time I ago. Know. Yeah, that's what I'm always thinking. I'm like, "Dee, baby." 
honey, he's busy right at now. At least try. Get yeah. Because they were trying to you show, off, time. show yeah. off the great special effects, but that scene is so long. It's like three minutes. It's like the steamroller scene in Austin Powers. Yeah. 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 That's basically, yeah. yeah. You forget yeah. that she's there. Every once in a while it cuts back to her and she's like... <laughs> And yeah. I'm like, I mean, I just, granted, she does deal with shock issues, so I guess. Yeah, that's true. She's traumatized. That much, so, so I mean, maybe she is literally just paralyzed. I, I can buy that. I'll accept that. Okay. And I think that's part of why I think the American Werewolf sequence works so well is because David, like, every time, even in the foreign theater, he's basically alone. Yeah. Yeah. He, no one is going to help him. He is like stuck in a situation, despite how much he pleads for help. Which, I love that it's like that happens right after a very funny montage of him just like I don't know what the hell to do in this place I'm alone. <laughs> yes. I have nothing to do here. And then the moment he has something to do, it's oh I'm horribly being destroyed by my own body, just transforming into a werewolf. Both of those transformations from those movies like seem so incredibly painful. Yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, the sound yeah. design in the howling transformation is so disturbing to me. It sounds like sticks breaking. Yeah. Um, it, and it's like he's he's pulsating and he's making these popping noises. Mm -hmm. Oh, it makes my skin crawl. Um, any other uh, people in the audience comments, questions? Maybe. Any particular reason why you think this year was the year that we got this many Marvel movies? Like, was there something particularly within the zeitgeist that, that made that important? That's a good question. I've been thinking about it since. Our, our beloved track director put this one together. There's got to be something, but I, I don't know. I, I, I think part of it is probably because we're doing this on like the 40th anniversary of these movies coming out. On this year that this movie came out, like 40 years ago, was The Wolfman. So I think it's a part of like what we were talking about earlier with like these are guys that were raised on television or in certain cases like the cheaper stations would run stuff like The Wolfman and other like um, werewolf movies. Or even they mentioned the, what's the name of the Oliver Reed one? The Curse of the Werewolf, right? Curse of the Werewolf. That was even like, it's the 20th anniversary of that as well. So I think it's like, it's sort of like this weird cultural thing that almost comes up like every generation. It's just like, oh, how about a werewolf story? That's even, I think, when we get to something like Ginger Snaps, that's about 20 years after this. Yeah. So I think it, I think it's sort of like a cyclical thing, almost like cycles of, you know, werewolf transformation or the, the moon and stuff. I feel like just werewolf things are, they come up like there's a defining one in a generation. Then not a lot of imitators, and I'm just like, well, werewolf. Let's do another one of those. Although we'll say I I saw werewolves within, and that's probably one of, that was great. One of my oh. favorite ones I've seen recently. I love that. Although Fantastic. I'm a big, big fan of hard comedies in general, yeah. and and they do a little bit of transformation in there that kind of works for that specific scene. But because it's one of those things like murder mysteries where who's the werewolf type thing. It's it's like Clue, Clue with werewolves. Well, werewolves. well it's, it's based on the video game of the same yeah, thing. You yeah. know, like when people play werewolf in the halls and sort of like that. But um. It, it's a very interesting take on that, uh, sort of like ready or not, or or uh, knives out with, or uh, I think some of the reviewers called it claws out, but because uh, <laughs> you have all these group of like character actors and it's very comedic. Yeah, yeah. But that's probably one of my favorite ones. And then again, I was kind of they did a pretty good job with the transformation. It wasn't on the level of anything we're talking about, but still, it kind of worked for that. Movie. Yeah, if anybody hasn't seen that one, it's I think it's streaming. I can't remember, but it's absolutely great. Oh, werewolves, werewolves within. within. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's definitely more more comedy. <laughs> it's definitely more. It's it's sort of a. Uh, I love Sam Richardson. He's amazing. Yeah, it's that. kind of like Fargo or uh, Northern Exposure meets Werewolf. So. Yeah. Have you seen the werewolf and what we do in the shadows? They're basically just a bunch of dumb dogs. Those werewolves. Yeah. It's werewolves. Yes. Yeah. 
For sure, those are fun. Another one that we haven't even mentioned, but shout out to Trick or Treats Werewolves. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I think that's a great example of especially where they just like they rip off their own skin. Yeah. And well, I also because I, I love the misdirection in Trick or Treat. Yeah. Where you know you think it's kind of like this uh, woman coming of age thing. Um, which it kind of is, but it's in a very different way than you have expected. And then all of a sudden, you know, yeah. And that it's a fantastic transformation. I love it. And that's a really good use of uh, what I imagine was practical and CGI combined because they look really good. Yeah. Uh, well, what in terms of like I guess some of these uh, follow-ups of heaven? What do you think are the lessons to take from like an American Werewolf Howling or even a Wolf and that other werewolf movies in the future kind of need to uh, remember when they're kind of like, what are maybe some of the cardinal things that these movies do well or not that other ones should follow up with? Hmm. Um, I, I mean, I guess it comes down to your effects can be amazing, but you still have to have a pretty good story and some good uh, characters to sort of care about that go through this transformation, those kind of issues. So I think, I think there needs to be a good combo there because... You know, I think the reason these movies kind of stand the test of time, especially with The Howling and definitely American Werewolf, is because of the characters, like McNaughton uh, or McNaughton? David Naughton. David Naughton. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's just his, his uh, you know, him going between being goofy and being distressed and stuff. You see him as a normal human being who's dealing with this issue and having to deal with it and how he's going to go about doing it. And so I think that's what it comes down to, definitely making sure... Casting-wise, uh, by the way, in Wolfen, I think uh, they were actually looking at Dustin Hoffman to play mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> the role that uh, Albert, uh, Albert, Finney, Albert Finney played. But, um, but yeah, it comes down to the, the definitely story, character, because there needs to be something that gives you a reason to have that transformation happen, because otherwise you're just known for being having a good effects scene as opposed to having an overall great film. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like some other horror genres or subgenres, you can kind of have throwaway characters that you don't really care about uh, that aren't well developed because you're leaning on some other element but in a werewolf movie I think they're very character driven stories they have to be to be successful and they have to be creature driven stories so I think maybe that answers why we don't see more of them because they have to be a little deeper uh, to work I think I don't really have anything to add. I think that's all. Yeah, I mean, that pretty much covers it. Also, does anybody, because we, we have kind of all said that, you know, Wolfen's not our favorite of this. If Wolfen didn't come out in 1981, do you think that the world would look at it differently? Because we had these two amazing werewolf movies, and then we had a, a spooky wolf movie. I, I think people just maybe wouldn't even glom onto it at all because the only way I knew about Wolfen at all was like oh 1981 was a year of werewolves because of the other two movies yeah, yeah. Was like lumped in I think I that's think you what, might be right yeah that's what's gotten at least some attention and why like we all had our various issues obviously with the movie but I think at least it's interesting that it takes this different trapped yeah and that it does have some of these like more interesting things like shout out to especially in Wolfen like you mentioned sort of the steady cam shots are spectacular particularly this one that's along like the Brooklyn Bridge that I think is like so stellar, and I think it's like an example where like I don't love every element of Wolfen, but it's still there's something fascinating, which I hope is what like if anything else, these other Wolf movies I think need to take some of these basic tenets that we're talking about, but also not just try and do American Werewolf or Howling or any of these other things like straight up. Plus, I think plus they also if they had Alfred Finney up on that bridge. Yes, yes. 
And I was like, you couldn't do that unless you're like Tom Cruise or something. I doubt any of these actors would be willing to do that. I mean, Albert Finney would do his own sense. I'm sure we could have gotten the 80s Mission Impossible franchise during Albert Finney. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been spectacular. <laughs> be the weirdest I don't even think about that. <laughs> Multiverse. Uh, um, any final comments maybe from the audience before we... Yes? I Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because we we didn't even touch on it. Is yeah. the fact that that really and again that's what I think makes the Howling franchise so interesting is that they do kind of shed a lot of the old tropes uh, of being a werewolf. It's it's a very different thing, and they treat it uh, really at, more as a species and less as a an infection, I guess. Yeah, more of like a wolf pack as opposed to a lone wolf. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and look, there. I'm not gonna try and say howling two through nine or however many there are. (laughs) I'm not trying to say they're great movies, but there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. And again, they go in some wild directions with those movies. So if you haven't seen them, uh, find them for the right price. Yes. But uh, open your mind and, and check them out. Yeah. Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf is one of my favorite titles of any movie. Uh, yes, Regardless absolutely. Regardless of the content, the title. Is and then the marsupials? Like, well, what? Marsupials. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, five or something? Which one is Sybil Danning in? I believe that's yeah, two. That's two, okay. I think it's four. Is it four? I, it's hard to keep them I, I don't know. Well, you guys, we'll, you guys we'll, know how to use we'll two. We'll do a Howling yeah. franchise panel at some other point. Yes. Yes. I'm sure. That's scary. But um, I guess we're uh, getting to the end here, so let's do some quick plugs from everybody. Um, I'll just briefly say, like I said, Double Edge, Double Bill is my podcast where we cover a good and a bad movie randomly selected every week. Uh, we're part of the ESO Network. Uh, you can find us at DEDDPod on Facebook and Twitter. I also have my own Twitter, at Not the Who's Tommy. I do some writing at film-cred.com. Um, you can follow my social medias, mainly on I Like Films, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can also um, go to check out podcasts on any of your podcast services for things like Hard News Radio, Gruesome Magazine, or Heroes and Droids. And, uh, and then you can find out about my, my film stuff uh, via my uh, social medias. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram uh, at Ryan Cadaver, uh, also at The Casket Creatures. And uh, yeah, you know, check out our music. We got a lot of music videos that are a lot of fun. They're like little mini horror movies, so uh, it's, it's a good time. We also lean very heavily into the horror comedy stuff, like big time. So it's it's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, that's my, that's my forte. That's our whole thing. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Battle Cougar. Um, you can listen to my podcast. It's called Caught Dead Watching. It's it's been on hiatus for a little while because the world has gone crazy, but uh, it's coming back theoretically. Um, and also, please listen to uh, all the Needless Things stuff, which Dave's about to plug. But you can hear me on the Needless Commentary team. 
Uh, you can find the Needless Things podcast wherever you get your podcast. We talk about all the stuff that you guys have been doing all weekend long here at Dragon Con. Uh, check out the Needless Things YouTube channel. Uh, toy reviews there pretty regularly. Lots of NECA stuff. Uh, basically, any horror toys I can get my hands on, I'll open them up and tell you what I think about them. Yeah, and uh, thank you all for coming. Uh, please, if you like the panel, rate it five stars on the app. And if you can't, like I said, we do have to kind of vacate. But if you can, yes, please donate uh, before you leave to Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Metro Atlanta. Really appreciate it. And have a great rest of your Dragon Con, everybody. Thanks. Don't get bit by werewolves. No. <laughs> Stay off the moors. Please check out Double Edge, Double Bill. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and check out Horror News Radio. I love being on panels with uh, Thomas and Chris whenever possible. And, of course, the Cadavers, uh, two of my dearest friends, best commentators, uh, all around wonderful, delightful people. So that was a great, fun panel. And I hope next year we can get the same crew back uh, for something else. I wonder what the theme was in 1982. Things of 1982, or the, the 1982, the thing about it was, I don't know, whatever. Uh, please check out the Needless Things YouTube channel. That's the thing I'm really pushing lately. Uh, if I can get to, I think it's a thousand subscribers, something happens. I think that's when I can monetize, if, if I'm remembering correctly. And that would be really nice to uh, ha have a little coin coming in for a change. Oh, so, okay. Real quick, I'll mention this. Uh, speaking of the Needless Things YouTube channel, I will be doing a review soon of the WWE Hollywood They Live Rowdy Roddy Piper as John Nada. Uh, I found one at Walmart today. The box is kind of fucked up, but it doesn't matter because you know I'm going to open it and review it. Obviously, this does not compare to the NECA figure that came out uh, a few months ago that I also reviewed a few months ago. Gosh, yeah, maybe earlier this year. I don't know. It's up there. You can find it. Uh, but I will be reviewing this, and there are some things about this one that are pretty, pretty good. So uh, I'm, I'm interested in getting it out and taking a look at it. So uh, Needless Things YouTube channel. Also join the Needless Things Facebook group uh, where we have fun talking about stuff when I remember to put up polls and things in there. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm busy, you guys. I do the best I can. Uh, next week is Mr. Bo Brown for some Masters of the Universe stuff. And the week after that, Black Friday. I love you guys. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.